0: I want to invite you to grab your copy of God's Word this morning. Join me once again in the book of Genesis. Genesis chapter 18, verses 16 through 33 will be our text this morning as we continue walking our way through the very first book of the Bible. And kids, I want to remind you that you have a bulletin specially designed for you so that you can follow along, and as we do every time that you're in the service with us, Pastor Michael will give you some pictures to draw, and I've actually had some adults after the service come up and say, can you keep doing that every week, because that helps me follow along, get a little bit of creativity out in the, uh, the midst of the sermon. And so this morning we will work through Genesis chapter 18 beginning in verse 16 in a message entitled, The Mercy of God. The Mercy of God. My very first year in college, I was ready to leave the week of Thanksgiving break and drive about 45 minutes to my house. It was time for turkey and dressing, and I was ready to be home for just a little bit. And so I headed out of the parking lot, I hit the road, and I am driving along until I crest a hill, and coming in the other direction is a Georgia State patrolman. And I thought, this is not good. And in that moment, I look, and I mean, he doesn't even pass me, and he hits his lights. And I'm thinking, we're done. So I pull off. I mean, I saw him in my rear view. I mean, he whipped that car around, and he got back to where I was really quickly. And so he stepped out, comes to the window, and uh, he says, do you know why I pulled you over? That's a trick question. We have a number of law enforcement uh, in our church. I am so thankful for them, but it's a trick question. They're wondering, are you gonna incriminate yourself in this moment, just make it easy for me, or we're gonna have to go through the whole deal? So I said, no, sir, I have no idea. And he said, well, you were speeding. I didn't argue, because I was speeding. So he said, license registration, I hand him my information, he goes back to the car, he's there for just a little bit, and he comes back up. And in my mind, I've heard the stories, I've heard some of your stories, where you get pulled over, you get a warning, you get sent on your way. In my mind, I'm thinking that's what's gonna happen. It's the week of Thanksgiving, he's thankful, I'm thankful, I'm gonna be thankful for him. And he said, Mr. Kennedy, uh, have you ever had a ticket before? I said, no, sir. I have never had a ticket before. And in my mind, I'm thinking, this is going better than I thought. He said, I've got great news for you. (laughs) And I'm thinking, this is great. He said, I've got great news for you. I get to write you your first one. So he did, wrote me the first one, handed it to me. I'm trying to figure out in my mind how to explain that to my dad who had never gotten a ticket, still has never gotten a ticket. If you've never gotten a ticket, something's wrong with you. Just want to put that out there. You need a ticket at least once in your life just to make sure that you're being honest because you have been speeding and you need a ticket, okay? But here's my thought. I had hoped, I had wondered, I had believed, maybe he would extend some mercy to me. Maybe he would not give me what I deserve. Some of you who are in law enforcement, you're wondering, how fast were you going, Pastor? Speed limit was 55. I was running 78. He only wrote 73 on the ticket, though. So I guess I did get a little bit of mercy in the midst of that. You know, it's interesting that we think... We should get mercy, but have you ever been riding down the road, see someone fly by you, and your first thought is, I hope there's a cop up ahead? Gets them, right? We all want mercy. And what's interesting as we look at the text this morning is we are going to see a God of mercy described. Now, this may be interesting for you because you may have heard things said like, you know, we have a different God in the Old Testament than we do in the New Testament. The Old Testament God is filled with wrath and filled with judgment, but the God of the New Testament is filled with grace and filled with mercy. They're not the same. And what I want you to recognize this morning as we read through the text is that is not the case whatsoever. Our God does not change. He is a God of judgment, a God of wrath towards sin, but He is also a God of grace and a God of mercy towards sinners. And what we're going to see is that on display this morning in the text. And so, I want to read for us, beginning in Genesis chapter 18, verse 16, going through the end of the chapter this morning. Kids, I want to encourage you, you've got some opportunity to fill in some blanks as we read through the text this morning, and I want you to do that. This is what God's word says. Then the men set out from there, and they looked down towards Sodom. And Abraham went with them to set them on their way. Because of the outcry against Sodom and Gomorrah is great and their sin is very grave, I will go down to see whether they have done altogether according to the outcry that has come to me and if not, I will know. So the men turned from there and went towards Sodom, but Abraham still stood before the Lord. Then Abraham drew near and said, Will you indeed sweep away the righteous with the wicked? Suppose there are 50 righteous within the city. Will you then sweep away the place and not spare it for the 50 righteous who are in it? Far be it from you to do such a thing, to put the righteous to death with the wicked, so that the righteous fare as the wicked. Far be that from you. Shall not the judge of all the earth do what is just? And the Lord said, If I find at Sodom fifty righteous in the city, I will spare the whole place for their sake. And Abraham answered and said, Behold, I have undertaken to speak to the Lord, I who am but dust and ashes. Suppose five of the fifty righteous are lacking. Will you destroy the whole city for lack of five? And he said, I will not destroy it if I find 45 there. Again, he spoke to him and said, suppose 40 are found there. And he answered, for the sake of 40, I will not do it. And then he said, oh, let not the Lord be angry and I will speak. Suppose 30 are found there. And he answered, I will not do it If I find 30 there, and he said, Behold, I have undertaken to speak to the Lord. Suppose 20 are found there. And he answered, For the sake of 20, I will not destroy it. And then he said, Oh, let not the Lord be angry, and I will speak again. But this once, suppose 10 are found there. And he answered, For the sake of 10, I will not destroy it. And the Lord went his way when he had finished speaking to Abraham, and Abraham returned to his place. Father, we ask this morning that you would open our eyes that we would be able to see, and you would open our ears that we would be able to hear, and that you would open our hearts and our minds that we would be ready to respond to your word and to your spirit. We ask all of this in Jesus' name, and everyone said Amen. If you're taking notes this morning, which I encourage you to do, I want you to write down this main idea. It'll frame our time together as we work through these verses, and it's this truth. We, and by we, I'm talking those of us who have experienced the grace and the mercy of God in our own lives, we who have experienced the mercy of God should proclaim the loudest what we have experienced. If you have experienced the mercy and the grace of God in your life, you should be the loudest one ready to proclaim what you've received from the Lord. You should be the one who is standing ready to give an answer for the hope that you have found in Jesus Christ. What's interesting is we're going to see this idea on display in the text this morning. You see, the truth is Abraham is a man that had experienced the great mercy and grace of God. He had been the recipient of the mercy and grace of God lavished on him. And instead of becoming a silo in and of himself and not worried about those outside of him, what we're going to see this morning in the passage is that his heartbeat, his desire is for others to experience what he had experienced. For others to get what he had received. I want us to look beginning in verses 16 through verse 21. I want you to notice what's taking place here in these verses. It says in verse 16, then the men set out from there." And they looked down towards Sodom. Who are the men that's described here? Well, if you were with us last week, and if you weren't, you can always go back and listen. But we encountered three men, Abraham did, three men who had journeyed to visit him, who were there to specifically remind him of the promise that God had made towards him. If you remember last week, it was the three men who had said to Abraham, don't forget the promise that the Lord has made to you. He is going to fulfill it. He is going to give you a son. And it will be through that lineage, ultimately, that all the earth would be blessed. We remember last week that Sarah, Abraham's wife, doubted. She wasn't sure that this was possible. Remember that at this point, Abraham's almost 100, Sarah's wife's 90. Biologically, they don't think this works. We have heard that with God, all things are possible. And that's the word that they receive. these three men who journeyed to visit them. They're getting ready to go on their way and they're heading towards this city called Sodom. It says, Abraham went with them to set them on their way kind of envision this. If you've got kids and you've had family come and visit your kids, I don't know if you've ever had this happen at your house, but as family gets ready to leave, they're driving away. Your kids run out to the edge of the road and they run down the road. As the family's leaving, they're waving, horns are blowing. They are excited. They're wanting them to know how much they love them. It's interesting here that Abraham follows with these men as they begin to leave. And I think in this moment, Abraham knows there's something that's up. We encountered last week this idea that one of these men is a manifestation of the Lord. there, giving Abraham this promise. And I want you to know in verse 17, this is the conversation that begins to take place. The Lord said... And he's not saying this to Abraham out loud, but he's saying this to himself. Shall I hide from Abraham what I'm about to do? Seeing that Abraham shall surely become a great and a mighty nation, and all the nations of the earth shall be blessed in him, for I have chosen him, that he may command his children and his household after him to keep the way of the Lord by doing righteousness and justice, so that the Lord may bring to Abraham what he has promised. This is the question that's asked by the Lord of himself. Should I peel the curtain back and let Abraham know what I'm about to do? Well, what is he about to do? Well, notice in verse 20, the Lord speaks, and this is to Abraham, because we find out that Abraham's clued in on what's about to transpire. The Lord said, because of the outcry against Sodom and Gomorrah is great, and their sin is very grave. I will go down to see whether they have done altogether according to the outcry that has come to me, and if not, I will know. The Lord is looking towards this city, Sodom and Gomorrah, and the Lord says about this city that their sin has gotten so bad that he is well aware of what's going on in the city. And he's going to see if what he has witnessed is what's true. I don't know if you noticed that or not, but it says the outcry against it had reached the Lord. And we know that the Lord is seeing everything that's transpiring. There's nothing that escapes his attention or his view. But I think the picture that's painted here is that those who were innocent within the city, those who were being taken advantage of, those who were the recipients of Sin committed against them were crying out. The Lord says, I have heard their cries. I have heard how wicked this city actually is. If you're taking notes, I want you to write down this first truth that we see in the text, in those verses, we need a proper view of God's holiness and our sinfulness. We need a proper view of God's holiness holiness, and our sinfulness. Kids, I want you to draw a picture for me, if you will. Adults, you may want to draw the same picture to give you a little more perspective in that as well. But kids, if you'll draw, and look at Pastor Michael, because this may make more sense as you see it. If you'll draw two cliffs on a piece of paper there with a great distance between the two cliffs. And on one of those, I want you to draw a picture of man. And on the other, draw a picture as best you can of God. And in the middle of the gap between those two cliffs, write the word sin. See, the picture that's painted for us throughout the scriptures is that God created mankind and we, prior to sin, in Genesis chapter 3, were perfect. We were righteous. In fact, what we see as we work through Genesis chapter one and Genesis chapter two, that Adam and Eve in the garden experienced a wonderful relationship with their creator. They experienced walking with him in the cool of the day that sin did not separate them from God until we come to Genesis chapter three. And we see in Genesis chapter three that Adam and Eve chose to disobey God. And as a result of their sin, the Lord says they would die, both spiritual death and physical death. That their sin separated them from God. And if God did not act on their behalf, which we find in Genesis chapter 3 that he did, sacrificed an animal, clothed them with the skins from the animal, there was no way for them to be able to come and to have a relationship with their Creator because of their sin. One of the things that was such a joy to watch is some of our leaders through the week of VBS talking with the kids and seeking to explain these truths of God's word to them. To seek to explain to them why they need to be saved from their sin, that their sin separates them from God. And one of our teachers who I told her this morning, thank you so much for the illustration because you were much better thinking of a way to describe this than I am. She's a STEM teacher, and so she said to one of the kids as she was sharing them with about sin and how that separates us from God, she said, you know, in class, and I remember this from my days in class in science, that if you take two magnets and you find the opposing magnetic fields between those two magnets, that there is no way possible, I don't care how strong you are, to get those two magnets to come together. There's no way possible if the opposing magnetic fields are pushing the magnets away. You can't put them together. It is physically impossible to do. And she was describing to one of our kids that is what sin does in our life. That it separates us from God and there is no way in our own strength and in our own power to bridge that gap between us and God as a result of our sin. Now here's what we need to recognize and understand as we walk through the text this morning. We need to be reminded of the fact that we serve a God who is perfectly holy, perfectly righteous, and that God is very clear in His Word that it is impossible for Him to be around sin without dealing with that. And what we need to recognize and understand is that our sin ultimately separates us from God. It's the reason that we see in the text this morning God taking sin so seriously in Sodom and Gomorrah, looking at this city and being willing to act as a result of that. God's holiness, mankind's sinfulness, our sin separates us from God. Maybe here this morning, and for you, you've never taken the step of trusting Jesus Christ as your Savior. I want you to know this morning that your sin separates you from God. It is impossible in your own strength, in your own power, to fix what's wrong with you. It's impossible for you to fix your sin problem. Like the two magnets trying to come together, it will not happen. You say, Pastor, man, that is really harsh. Most churches don't talk about that. It's impossible to read the Bible and not see that on display. It's impossible for us to walk through the scriptures and to miss the reality of God's holiness and our sinfulness and that our sin separates us from God. Now, here's the thing. If we just stop there, we all go home very depressed because every single one of us are sinners in need of a savior doesn't take you very long if you question that to have a two-year-old in your house to look and go, we got sinners around. doesn't take long to figure out that we are born sinners and we choose to sin. If we stop there, we grow very discouraged, but I want you to recognize that as we continue to walk through the passage, I want you to notice in verse 22. It says, so the men turned from there and went toward Sodom. But Abraham still stood before the Lord. Then Abraham drew near and said, I want you to notice this question that Abraham asks the Lord. Will you indeed sweep away the righteous with the wicked? It's a fascinating question that he asks the Lord in this moment. And I want you to know that he is asking the Lord this as a recipient of God's mercy and God's grace in his own life. I want you to recognize and understand that Abraham is the one who had been chosen by the Lord. Abraham was the one who, even in the midst of up and down, trusting God, not trusting God, had experienced the mercy and the grace of God in his own life. And his question to the Lord is, will you sweep away the righteous?" with the wicked. He has heard from the Lord that God's plan is that he would wipe out the city of Sodom and Gomorrah as a result of their sin. And Abraham says, whoa, 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 whoa. Hang on. Are you the kind of God who is going to judge both the righteous and the wicked in the same way? Are you going to wipe them all out? Because I don't think that's the kind of God you are. You're God of holiness that deals with sin, but you are God of mercy as well, who responds to a sinner who seeks you. And I want you to notice in verse 24, he says, suppose there are 50 righteous within the city. Will you then sweep away the place and not spare it for the 50 righteous who are in it? Think about that in relation to us. I mean, just imagine with me, if you will, that conversation between you and the Lord about parish. The Lord says, I'm going to bring judgment on this city. And you say to the Lord, I mean, there have to be 50 righteous in the city. Maybe not in Tampa, but parish. (laughs) Got to be 50 righteous in parish, right? Right. Lord, you would not exercise judgment against everybody if there are righteous who are there, right? I want you to notice in verse 25, far be it from you to do such a thing, to put the righteous to death with the wicked so that the righteous fare as the wicked. Far be that from you shall not the judge of all the earth do what is just, I want you to write down this second truth. Not only do we need a proper view of God's holiness and our sinfulness, but we need a proper view of God's judgment and our desperate need for salvation. Kids, if you want to draw a picture, in fact, if you'll do it right where you've drawn the previous picture in between the gap between the two cliffs, I want you to draw a cross right there. Because what we're reminded of in the text this morning is that for us, our great hope is not in us fixing our sin problem, but is in Jesus Christ who has paid our debt of sin. Our great hope in having a relationship with our Heavenly Father is not us trying to do better, but it is Jesus doing what we could not do his life, his death on the cross, a sacrificial death that we should have had to pay. He did it on our behalf. And he rose from the grave, securing salvation for us and offers it to us as a free gift to be received. I want you to notice that at this point, Abraham says, God, I know what you are like. You are not a God of indiscriminate judgment. You are a God who has a proper perspective when it comes to judgment. You're not a God who judges the righteous and the wicked the same. You're a God of justice, a God who does what is right. Now, what that reminds us is this reality that God does exercise judgment against sin, and God does exercise judgment against sinners. And that if you are dead in your sins right now, and you think somehow you're going to make a bargain with God that he would not judge you as a result of your sin, I want you to know that is not the place that you want to be this morning. And that's not a place you have to stay this morning. That God, as a result of His grace and His mercy, extends towards us the gift of salvation through His Son, Jesus Christ, to bridge the gap that we could not bridge in our own strength and in our own power that through His grace and His mercy extended to us, through Jesus Christ, His Son, our sins can be forgiven. He bridges the gap so that we can have a relationship with our Heavenly Father the way that we were intended to have. I want you to notice that the description for Abraham here in this passage is, God, I know what you're like. And God, I know what I've received from you. God, I know that you are a just judge. I know that the righteous can take comfort in you. If you're here this morning and you find yourself never having taken the step of trusting Jesus Christ as your Savior, this is your opportunity today to be rescued in your sin, to have your debt of sin paid for by Jesus Christ's death on the cross your salvation secure through his resurrection so that you can leave this morning, not an object of God's judgment and wrath, but you could leave as a child of his. When I was about eight years old, we went to the beach for family vacation. We always went to Panama City Beach, the Redneck Riviera, right? I didn't know there was another beach in all the world other than Panama City Beach. Don't go there. I just wanted you to know that on the front end not the place you want to be, not family friendly, just don't go, okay? But I was out with my parents on the beach and they always had flags that were posted outside the hotels And they would have certain flags based on color with how the water was that day. So green flag meant no problem of undertow, you could go out and you could enjoy the water, there was no problem. If there was a yellow flag, it meant you may wanna take a little bit of caution as you head out, kinda pay attention to what's going on. If there was a red flag, it meant don't go in the water, you're gonna die, okay? So we're out at the beach, Look down the beach, guess what flag's flying? It's red. What do we do? We're in, the, we're in the water. And it didn't take very long at all until I started drifting out further and further and further from the shore. And I kind of turn and look and I'm like, this is not good. And then it's not but a split second later that I was way out in the water. The undertow was dragging me out further and further and further from the beach. And then I saw my dad running. Pumping his arms, dives into the water, swims like Michael Phelps over the waves, reaches me, tucks me under one arm, and with the other begins to swim back towards the shore. I want you to know that is the picture of what Jesus Christ does on our behalf. That we are swept up in the Waters of sin to the point that we cannot rescue ourselves. And that Jesus Christ comes to rescue us, to save us, to take us where we need to be. I want you to notice in verses 26 through 33 this conversation that begins between the Lord and Abraham after he said, Will you really judge the righteous and the wicked together? Verse 26, the Lord said, if I can find at Sodom 50 righteous in the city, I will spare the whole place for their sake. I think in this moment, Abraham thought that was a low bar. I mean, it's just 50 people. But notice, verse 27, Abraham starts to doubt just a bit. He said, Lord... What if there's five missing out of 50? How about for 45? And then he goes down to 35, and then 30, and then 25, and then 20, and then by the end, he says in verse 32, Lord, don't be angry, but what if there's 10? What if there's 10 righteous in the city? Would you spare it? Now at every point, the Lord has said, if there's that many, I'll spare it. Abraham, if there's that many, I'll spirit. If there's 30, I'll spare it. If there's 25, he keeps going down all the way to 10. And I want you to know the Lord's response in that for the sake of 10, I will not destroy it. You know, it's interesting when you look at that because what we see on display here is a God of mercy and a God of grace. I want you to notice this third truth. We need a proper view of God's mercy and our call to share what we've experienced with others. If you are a recipient of the mercy and grace of God in your life, you're a follower of Jesus this morning, you have been called by the Lord to share what he's done on your behalf. I think that's exactly what we see Abraham in this moment doing. Abraham, who has been a recipient of the grace of God, desires for those in Sodom and Gomorrah to experience what he's experienced, for them to see the God of grace and mercy like he saw God. And let me ask you this, if you're a follower of Jesus here this morning, is that your heartbeat? That the people you go to school with, the people that you work with, the people that are your neighbors, the people that you interact with in the stores and the restaurants in this community, that they would experience the same God of grace and mercy as you. As a kid, one of the things that I loved was eating at Long John Silver's. three piece fish and fries add a piece of fish and get a box of the crunchies some of y'all know exactly what i'm talking about some of y'all need to experience life okay you may want to go right now and just go ahead and knock it out but i wanted you to know that as a kid that, that was seafood in my mind that was it I mean, you could not get better than that until I actually went to a seafood restaurant and I got real fish. (laughs) And I found out very quickly that that was the real deal. You know, from that point forward, I had no real desire to eat Long John Silver's. And in fact, I would tell people who were eating at Long John Silver's, you're missing it. (laughs) I was the champion of the seafood restaurant in town. I wanted everybody to know that Long John Silver's is not where it's at, that this, this is the best. Believer, let me ask you this question. Do you feel the same way about the grace and the mercy you've received from God? That you want people to know who Jesus Christ is and what he's done in your life and what he can do to transform their lives. You want them to go from eating long john silvers to eating the real deal to experiencing all that God has to offer. We have the opportunity, those of us who have experienced the mercy and grace of God in our lives, to share that with everyone that we encounter who desperately needs to know that there is a God of mercy and grace, who has made it possible for their sins to be forgiven so that they can enter into a relationship with him through his son, Jesus Christ. The world needs to hear that. Would you bow your heads with me this morning as our worship team makes their way back up, as we reflect on the text and what God has called us to do in response and as we take a few moments to celebrate the Lord's Supper together, to celebrate all that Jesus Christ has done through his life, death, and resurrection. If you're here this morning and you've never taken the step of trusting Jesus Christ as your Savior, I want you to know that you don't have to stay separated from God as a result of your sin. That it is possible today through Jesus Christ, life, death, resurrection, for your sins to be forgiven, for you to be brought into the family of God, enjoy a relationship with him forever. If that's a step that you need to take, we'd love to help you take that step. You may be a follower of Jesus here this morning, a recipient of the mercy and the grace of God as we talked about. And as we've been discussing this passage, there are people's names that have popped up in your mind and your heart that you know are far from God. Co-workers, friends, neighbors, classmates. And the Lord has pressed in on your heart right now that you have been placed in their life for a purpose and that is to proclaim the mercy and the grace that's available to them through Jesus Christ. And I want to encourage you over the next few moments as we stand and sing, as we pray, would you lift that name to the Lord and ask God to give you an opportunity this week to share the hope you found in Jesus Christ with them so that they could hear you have experienced in your life. Father, we ask this morning as we have an opportunity to respond to your word, if there's those here who don't know Jesus Christ as their Savior, that today would be the day of salvation for them, that they would take that step of placing their faith and trust in Jesus Christ for salvation. Father, for the believers who are gathered here, would you burden us, remind us, help us to celebrate mercy and the grace we've received and help us proclaim that truth with those that we encounter over the course of this next week, that we would celebrate what Jesus Christ has done. We ask that in Jesus' name, amen. Would you stand? Our altar's open. Our pastors are down front spend a few moments together singing and then we'll sit back down and celebrate the Lord's Supper together. But you respond today as a Lordly.